1983, Henry Lee Lucas was arrested in Texas for unlawful possession of a firearm. While in custody, he confessed to hundreds of murders committed in dozens of states with a partner, Otis Toole, earning him the nickname The Confession Killer. Despite many of these confessions proven to be false, his story captured the public consciousness, inspiring the 1986 film Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. This is based on a true crime. I'm Chelsea, and I still love true crime. And I'm David, and I still love horror movies. And uh, welcome to our triumphant return to podcasting. It's yes. It's certainly been a while. We are living in the future, 2019. <laughs> yep. Well, it's been a while since you guys have heard from us. Our Patreon supporters have enjoyed uh, delightful episodes about, was it The Shining and The Winchester House? And our latest one, which was... The Shining. I said The Shining oh, and then the Winchester shining. House. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a Keep couple up. more in between. There's November and uh, I don't remember which one November is. Candyman? No. Candyman was October. Oh my gosh. I don't even know. There, anyway. There have, been, there have been a couple. Yeah. What we're saying is it's been a while. We're happy to be back at it. Um, might have noticed a few changes to our social media habits. You know, I, I treated the break from podcasting as a, a break from most forms of podcast social media as well. So sorry for being less responsive, but uh, I also kind of did a bit of a, shall we say, a, a Marie Kondo on on uh, my life, and I decided Twitter has to go. So I won't be returning to Twitter, we'll say. I don't have the self-control to not read things that make me very angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you can... You know, you can always find us on our Cult Hub Based on True Crime Facebook group. Yeah, and we'll probably be back around Instagram occasionally. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Well, this month we wanted to uh, return with a heavy hitter. So we're going to be talking about Henry Lee Lucas, infamous serial killer, and uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is kind of an infamous movie, we'll say. Yeah, oh, totally. So without further ado, why don't we get into it? Henry Lee Lucas was born on August 23rd of 1936 in Blacksburg, Virginia. He was the youngest of nine children, seven of whom were placed in foster care. Only one older brother, Andrew Preston, lived with the family. His father, Anderson, was an alcoholic who lost both legs in a railroad accident. After the accident... He was forced to make a living by illegally producing alcohol, and Lucas himself became an alcoholic before the age of 10. His mother, Viola, was also an alcoholic and was a strict disciplinarian. She earned money through sex work, which she carried out from the family's dirt floor cabin, sometimes making Henry watch. Henry described his childhood as follows, quote, I hated all my life. I hated everybody. When I first grew up and can remember, I was dressed as a girl by my mother. And I stayed that way for two or three years. And after that, I was treated like what I call the dog of the family. I was beaten. I was made to do things that no human being would want to do. 
When Lucas was seven, he wound up in the hospital for two weeks after his brother cut him across the face and eye. Shortly afterwards, he lost the same eye when a teacher hit him across the face with a ruler, and it was replaced with a glass one. When he was eight, his mother struck Henry across the head with a two-by-four, and he was left unconscious in the house for three days before being taken to the hospital. When he was 10, his mother's boyfriend, Bernie Dowdy, taught Henry how to kill animals and then have sex with them, which is disgusting. Uh, Henry became fixated on sex, and he continued to uh, do this on his own. He also had sex with his half-brother. When Henry was 14, his father died after passing out drunk in the snow. He left home briefly, moving in with his half-sister in Middlebrook to escape his mother's abuse, but it wasn't long before he returned to Blacksburg. In 1950, he was sent to jail for driving recklessly. The following year, when he was 15, he claims to have committed his first murder. This is according to Henry. He said that he abducted 17-year-old Laura Burnsley near Lynchburg, Virginia. He propositioned her for sex, and when she turned him down, he raped her and strangled her to death before burying her body somewhere in the woods near Harrisburg, Virginia. There is no concrete evidence that he committed this murder, or many others which we'll get to, um, other than his confession. Henry spent the next eight years in and out of prison for robbery. When he was 16, he spent a year in a vocational school for juvenile delinquents in Beaumont, Virginia, where his IQ was evaluated to be 76. Which is low. Yeah. Yeah. Well, after his release, he lived briefly with his half-sister, Nora, in Staunton, Virginia, where he claims to have raped his 12-year-old niece. The following year, in 1954, he was arrested again for burglary and sentenced to four years in the Richmond Penitentiary. In 1956, he escaped prison with another inmate and made it to Ohio before being caught. While in Ohio, he met a girl named Stella, and the two became pen pals as he completed his prison sentence. When he was released from prison in 1959, he moved in with his half-sister, Opal, in Tecumseh, Michigan, and he and Stella became engaged. That Christmas, his mother visited Henry and informed him that she did not approve of his relationship and insisted that he move back to Blacksburg. The two fought constantly during their her visit until finally on January the 11th of 1960, their arguments turned deadly. According to Henry, his mother hit him over the head with a broom, and he retaliated by slapping her across the neck, not realizing that he had a knife in his hand. I mean, I don't believe it for a second. First of all, who slaps someone across the neck? It's a weird place to slap someone. It is, yeah. Yeah. Maybe on the cheek or something, but yeah, not yeah. on your neck. Well, apparently he slapped her across the neck with a knife. Ouch. Um, so Henry was arrested eight days later while driving through Ohio. The jury did not buy his claim of self-defense, just like me, and he was sentenced to 20 to 40 years in Michigan State Penitentiary. Shortly after beginning his sentence, police intercepted a letter Henry sent to Opal in which he intimated that he was suicidal. He was evaluated in prison, and while being evaluated, he admitted to having sex with his mother's corpse. And this was actually not possible because she was not dead when Henry's sister Opal got home, and Henry had already fled the scene at this point. So, yeah. Uh, He was initially diagnosed with 
active situational upset and passive aggressive personality. But after he claimed he heard voices and after attempting to cut his own wrists, he was diagnosed to be schizophrenic and he was transferred to the Ionia State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. He remained in the hospital for four years before being transferred back to the maximum security prison. On June 3rd, 1970, he was paroled after serving just 10 years due to prison overcrowding. Wow. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Yep. Uh, so he claims, as you'll notice, many things are things that he claims, right? So he claimed that on that very day, within sight of the prison, he killed two more women, um, although there's no evidence of this. Um, so still, it wasn't long before he was in trouble with the law once again. Henry was living in Tecumseh with Opal when, in December of 1971, he attempted to kidnap two teenage girls from a bus stop in Palmyra, Michigan. He was also in violation of his parole at the time because he was in possession of a handgun. Henry was sentenced to five years and sent back to the Michigan State Penitentiary. While there, he began a relationship with Betty Crawford, the widow of his nephew, who was writing to him. He was released on parole over his own objections in August of 1975. He moved to Pennsylvania to work on his niece's mushroom farm, and he and Betty married. Two years later, the pair divorced amid accusations that Henry was sexually abusing his stepdaughters. Henry became a drifter, making his way south and, at least according to his confessions, killing numerous female hitchhikers along the way. In late 1976, Henry befriended Otis Toole after the pair met in a soup kitchen in Florida. By this time, Otis was already the prime suspect in the murders of 24-year-old Patricia Webb in Nebraska and 31-year-old Ellen Holman in Colorado within months of each other in 1974. The pair became lovers, travel companions, and allegedly serial killers together. Otis claimed that in total, the pair killed 108 people at the behest of a cult called the Hands of Death. According to Henry, the number was closer to 600. Yeah. Uh, which would, of course, make them the most prolific serial killers. Uh, although there's a reason they don't actually get credit for that. So Henry moved in with Otis and his mother and sister in Jacksonville in 1979. While there, he especially became close with Otis's 12-year-old niece, Becky Powell. Otis and Henry worked for a local roofing company, but they often missed work together while the pair continued to travel. In 1982, Otis's mother and sister both passed away, and Becky was placed in a state shelter. Henry convinced her to run off with him, and the two made their way to Ringgold, Texas. The pair got a job helping out 82-year-old Kate Rich. She's the elderly mother of Henry's employer's wife. It wasn't long before he and Becky were fired, though, because they were failing to do their jobs, and also they were forging checks in Kate's name. The two were picked up while hitchhiking by a minister from Stoneburg, Texas. He believed that the pair were married, although Becky was only 15 at the time and Henry was 46. Yeah. Uh, the minister brought the pair back to his religious commune, the House of Prayer, and let them stay in a small apartment on the premises in exchange for Henry's work as a roofer. By August, Becky was sick of life on the commune and she wanted to return to Florida. The pair began arguing until finally, on August 23rd, Henry murdered and dismembered Becky. He stuffed her body parts in pillowcases and scattered them in an isolated field. Whew. 
Well, a few weeks later, on September 16th, Henry returned to the home of Kate Rich and told her that Becky was missing. He asked for Kate's help looking for her, and Kate agreed. While driving together, Henry stabbed Kate to death and shoved her body in a drainage pipe. He drifted for about a month before returning to the commune alone. While there, he heard that he was a prime suspect in the disappearance of Kate Rich. He returned to the body and brought it back to the commune and incinerated it in a stove. Shortly after, in June of 1983, Henry was arrested on charges of unlawful possession of a firearm. While in jail, he was stripped naked and denied contact with an attorney. Within four days, Henry confessed to murdering Kate Rich and Becky Powell. Then, he confessed to killing as many as 600 other people in 27 states. Almost daily, Henry was prompted with case files of unsolved murders. He claimed to be responsible for many of them. In exchange, he was given milkshakes, clean clothes, cigarettes, and coffee. Yum. Yeah, so you might already see a, a bit of a problem with those confessions, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, well, still, you know, during this confession, Henry told police of his and Otis's rampage. He said, quote, We killed him every way there is except one. I haven't poisoned anyone. We cut him up. We ran him down in cars. We stabbed him. We beat him. We drowned him. There's crucifixion. There's people we filleted like fish. There's people we burnt. We strangled them. We even stabbed them when we strangled them. We even tied them up so they would strangle themselves. Yeah. So in the meantime, Otis Toole had also been arrested. He was arrested in Jacksonville, Florida in 1983 for arson. And while he was in custody, he confessed to the murder of 64-year-old George Sonnenberg, whom he had barricaded in a boarding house before setting the house on fire. While in prison, Otis went along with the many confessions given by Henry, and Henry went along with confessions given by Otis, including, um, you know, famously, his confession to the murder of six-year-old Adam Walsh. The two also spoke on the phone with each other while they were incarcerated, uh, reminiscing about their crimes in very graphic terms, which I'm sure they, you know, knew were being recorded by police. But uh, this is an excerpt. So, David, would you like to be Henry Lee Lucas or Otis Tool? Oh, I'll just go for Otis. All right. When we took him out and cut him up, remember one time I said I wanted me some ribs? Did that make me a cannibal? You wasn't a cannibal. It's the force of the devil. Something forced on us that we can't change. One time you filleted some of them bodies and I did too. That cutting them up like meat, you know? I've seen bodies cut up worser than you ever seen bodies cut up. I know that. I even took fire and burnt the bodies. Some taste like real meat when it's got barbecue sauce on it. Oh, Gross. Yeah, that's... No. No, thank you. Well, one of the crimes Henry confessed to was the October 31st, 1979 murder of an unidentified hitchhiker called Orange Socks. Orange Socks was sexually assaulted and strangled to death. Her body was dumped over a guardrail on Interstate 35 in Georgetown, Texas, and at the time, Henry Lee Lucas was still living and working in Florida. Still, he claimed that he picked up Orange Socks in Oklahoma killed her when she wouldn't have sex with him, and dumped her body in Texas. Based on Henry's confessions, police in Texas closed 213 cases. In 1986, Henry was convicted of 11 murders, including those of Becky and Kate, 
and received the death penalty for the murder of Orange Sox. Still, it wasn't long before some police and members of the press became suspicious of the authenticity of his confessions. A detective from Dallas, Linda Irwin, eventually began making up crimes to present to Henry, and sure enough, Henry would confess to them. His confessions also became increasingly outlandish. He told police that he provided the poison used in Jonestown. Wow. Yeah. And uh, that he killed Jimmy Hoffa. Now we know what happened. Yep, we do. Henry Lee Lucas. He also confessed to the murder of a schoolteacher in Virginia who turned out to be alive. Oh, man. His confessed spree also would have required him to drive 11,000 miles in a month. Which is a lot. I think that's like almost three times the length of the United States. Yeah. 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 Eventually, Henry began recanting his confessions. In the end, the only murders which could be associated to him with any evidence at all were those of his mother, Kate Rich, and Becky Powell. Despite this, in 1989, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals affirmed his convictions in the Orange Sox murder case. He was granted stays of execution in 1990 and 1995 to keep investigating his false confessions, but his death sentence still wasn't overturned. Finally, six days before he was scheduled to be executed, on June 30th of 1998, his sentence was commuted by then-governor uh, George W. Bush, who went on to you know, become president and all. Uh, so it was commuted to just one life sentence. On March 13th of 2001, Henry Lee Lucas died in prison from a heart attack. He was 64 years old. Otis Toole, meanwhile, was convicted of six murders, including that of George Sonnenberg. His death sentences were commuted to life in prison as well. And on September 15th of 1996, at age 49, he died in prison of cirrhosis. Wow, that's pretty young. Yeah, they're both pretty young. Yeah, I don't think they lived the healthiest lifestyle, we'll say. Yeah. Also, they definitely both killed at least some people. Yeah, all that cannibalism, I guess, right? Ooh, yep. Well... (laughs) Uh, I mean, I, I do have a question for you, and I think this is a question a lot of people have when they think of Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, and that's um, how many people do you think he murdered? Well, Is it closer to 600, or is it closer to three, or is it less? Ooh. I think it's closer to three. Honestly, um, it just it really seems that way. I think when we talk about the movie, as the character of Henry is presented and Otis it it seems like a lot more but uh as we know it's not a uh, a biopic of those two yeah and I think you know this the outlandish number of people they confess to murdering is a reason that you know they're they're very well known I'd say they're some of the the most well-known serial killers and then you actually read into it and you know it's it's very exaggerated I would be no, I don't want to say I would be shocked to find out that he killed people other than those three because, you know, he did try to kidnap those teenage girls. You know, he definitely had issues. And I I imagine that the opportunity may have presented itself with, with these hitchhikers. And there are a lot of missing women out there. But, you know, the fact that he was uh, confessing to crimes that did not exist tells me that you know the, the number is not 600 well that and getting a milkshake i mean i'm sure they were really good milkshakes so he's like oh yeah sure another one yeah. I, I murdered 
however many milkshakes I can drink or eat Mm, or whatever. I could drink a lot of milkshakes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Me too. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I think on the surface, you know, I I think of these two and it's like, oh my God, it's like hundreds and hundreds. And then you start digging into the the facts of, of the case and it just, it just seems so outlandish. I, I feel like the conversation that we're reenacted seems like uh, they were putting on quite the show. Oh, for sure. Yes. All right. So before we get to the movie discussion, I did want to call out a few of my references. Uh, The radford.edu psych website, anyone who's interested in uh, a lot of serial killer history, they have great archives on a ton of, of killers, including Henry Lee Lucas uh, the confession killer.weebly.com has some good information about him. Um, the upi.com is where I found that conversation. So that was from their archives. 1984 investigators released the transcripts of that jailhouse conversation. That's, you know, pretty remarkable and, and gross. And then uh, finally, the criminalminds.fandom.com wiki page has some good information on him as well. Right on. Good yet gruesome stuff. Oh, yeah. Speaking of good yet gruesome. (laughs) Yeah, sit tight. We'll be right back for a discussion of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Did you really kill your mama? I guess I did. You're telling me you never killed anybody before? I ain't saying that. What do you got in mind, Henry? What do you think? What do you say, Otis? You want to go grab a beer? If you shoot somebody in the head with a 45 every time you kill somebody, it becomes like your fingerprints, see? But if you strangle one and stab another, and when you cut up, when you don't, then the police don't know what to do. You guys need any help? Do you need some help? Or can you do it yourself? That's mean you go for a ride on this. It's always the same. And it's always different. Either way. Sure it's good to talk to you, Henry. You're not judgmental or anything like that. Open your eyes, Otis. Look at the world. It's either you or them. Did I stutter? Give me the $50 to get out! Don't do that, Otis. She's your sister. Otis, plug it in. And we are back to talk about Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. After Becky escapes from an abusive husband to live with her brother, Otis, they're joined by Henry, a serial killer who decides to share his murderous ways with Otis. While Henry and Otis commit a series of horrific crimes upon the populace, Becky finds herself caught in the middle. Who will survive and what will be left of them? Hey, that sounds familiar. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't figure out a way to wrap it up, so I just took that from the uh, Texas Chainsaw tagline. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is the, uh, well, it was filmed in... 1985 and uh was completed in 1986 henry portrait of a serial killer 
an infamous title, I do believe, because it took a couple of years for it to actually get released. Um, but before we kind of really dig in deep, um, we just talked about the true crimes of Henry Lee Lucas and, of course, Otis, his co- cohort in crime. And um, how, how? just upon your first, like, uh, perspective of you know knowing about the the case and then how the film turned out what are just some some general impressions of the movie oh hmm. i gotta say i had pretty high expectations going into it i think you know i i heard a lot about this movie as you know someone who's into true crime movies and you know henry portrait of serial killer is thrown around because it's it's a little bit infamous in uh some of its depictions of you know murder and and sexual assault i will say one thing right off the bat that i did not appreciate about this um is becky's character you know she is a child who was murdered by henry lee lucas after you know getting into a relationship with him and i'm putting relationship in air quotes because she was like between 12 and 15 and they turned her into an adult and i don't think that's very fair because the fact that she was a child is one of henry's crimes you know on top of murdering her so um you know right off the bat i think that kind of made me a little bit skeptical and uh let's just say the I wasn't sold on pretty much the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. Yep. What about you? What did you think? Yeah, well, uh, this movie's really just not not for me. I think that in the time since we watched it, um, kind of my opinion of it, I think I've had some distance and maybe I'm, would be a little bit more favorable in you know my review. I think that it's uh for such a a low budget film they had like quite a bit of time to to make this movie and it kind of sat on the shelf and you know came out and had a lot of controversy uh i like that it kicked off um michael rooker's career who we'll talk about here in in just a few minutes yeah i he did a great job i think you know another thing to maybe talk about with this and you know there's a lot of talk of Ted Bundy right now because of the big Netflix uh, documentary series which we watched which is very good and uh, the trailer dropped for the Zac Efron one and you know the idea of romanticizing a serial killer you know I I think they do that in this movie with Michael Rooker and he plays it very well but it still makes me uncomfortable yeah yeah Yeah. definitely well this uh, movie did actually start out um, as you know sort of a uh, just a horror movie just that was kind of their um, I think plan was uh, that uh, John McNaughton had been working with a couple of uh, producers on uh, some true crime documentaries and they kind of promised each other they would work together again and uh, decided that you know a horror movie would be a good way to make the most of um, a lower budget film but it turns out you know they didn't have quite the budget to make anything supernatural or or with like a monster so they did go in the the true crime direction and this was co-written by Richard Fire and John McNaughton 
and it was directed by John McNaughton. So Richard Fire was a writer and actor, and um, actually the two of them worked together again a couple years later on a sci-fi horror movie called The Borrower. And I really love kind of the description of this, and I, I actually really want to see it now. So it's described as... Um, Banished from another planet for committing brutal crimes, a lone alien traveler, had me at lone alien traveler, (laughs) (laughs) has come to Earth after a series of savage savage and monstrous murders by beheadings. New York's toughest homicide detectives ask only one question. Is he human? No, he is the borrower. Look after your possessions. And I'm guessing the possessions are your head. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 I'm intrigued. Yeah. it It looks fun. Um... And uh, Richard Fire would also um, co-write several plays. Um, he did a little bit of acting, as I said. He was played a doctor in Poltergeist 3. And sadly, he passed away a couple years ago in 2015. Um, the director, John McNaughton, he uh, is a little bit or a lot infamous in the hor- to the horror crowd. But uh, he, he had a couple of mainstream Hollywood movies. He directed... Uh, Besides this, he did Mad Dog and Glory, which is uh, stars Robert De Niro, Uma Thurman, and Bill Murray. That came out in '93. Uh, all uh, the tagline for this, or kind of a description, is that after his life is saved by a lonely cop, a mobster who moonlights as a stand-up comedian provides the cop with a beautiful young companion. And I believe the beautiful young companion is Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Oh. <laughs> yep. Uh, yep. Uh, also, Wild Things. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> many of many of you uh, uh, know this movie. It's uh, Nev Campbell, Kevin Bacon, Denise Richards, and Matt Dillon, and it's a uh, a sexy thriller. Ooh. There's a pool scene in that, right? That's uh, kind of infamous. He also directed an episode of uh, Mick Garris's Masters of Horror called Heckle's Tale, and that one is about a grieving a grieving widower who is seeking the help of a necromancer is told the terrible tale of Ernst Heckel, a man obsessed with reanimation. Ooh, I'd watch that. It's right yeah. in my alley. Yep. Yeah, totally. So, you know, talking about kind of how um, I think uh, I think this ma- movie makes me feel very uncomfortable. And I think the fact that it was shot on 16 millimeter really contributes to the griminess of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had a 28 day shoot. So um, that seems kind of luxurious because I hear like indie filmmakers today talking about having like 12 and 15 day shoots so the fact that this low budget movie had almost a month to film is is pretty remarkable and this the story is is pretty simple and confined i'm kind of surprised it would take that long yeah maybe it was Um, you know i I read that a lot of friends and family kind of helped out on the movie so they may not have you know been working every single day um if, if they they didn't have the budget so yeah, the release of this film is really interesting. It was screened um, on September 24th of 1986, but it actually did not get released theatrically until January 5th of 1990. So it was out there a really long time before you know people were able to see it. And uh, one of the things that I was reading that contributed to that was the fact that the producers did not have a lot of faith in the film after it was done. They didn't think that, you know, there could really be an audience for it, but they were finally convinced to start screening it at film festivals and, you know, kind of word of mouth. I think, uh, Roger Ebert gave it a pos- really, really positive review. 
Uh, he gave it a, a thumbs up or Jeez, whatever. Mr. Anti-Horror himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, shocking to me. He, I think he liked the fact that it was a, a horror movie without, he said something about like the villain doesn't have any cheeky quips and quotes. So, you know, that 80s horror, uh, horror crowd. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting that he dug it. And then, uh, yeah, they, they were able to get it released. And uh, it was, I mean, it was super controversial at the time. I think the levels of violence, you know, the way it looked, the, the, the portrayal of Henry and Otis are just, ugh, all yeah. I can say. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Henry's played by Michael Rooker, as we mentioned. And, you know, he's really became a household name after, I think kind of the Walking Dead was, he was on on the verge he plays daryl's brother merle and yeah another total slime ball yes oh my god he's so slimy in that but so then he, racist oh. oh my god yeah yeah Oof. um but you know he he has such a great character i think of yondu in the two guardians of the galaxy movies oh, yeah. that mary poppins yep oh um i really love him though in slither uh another james gunn horror flick he plays Grant Grant, and he's kind of the main uh, antagonist in that. So gross, so funny, though. Um, but I think the first time I remember seeing him, uh, he's in Kevin Smith's Mallrats, uh, his Kevin Smith's second movie. It's the follow-up to Clerks, and he plays uh, uh, kind of a real, real asshole character. Um, hey, say, would you like a chocolate-covered pretzel? And gets stink-palmed, and yeah, it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> He's also in some like other odds and end movies, The Dark Half, Tombstone, JFK, Days of Thunder. He's a he's a, a a fun character actor who plays a bad guy very 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 well, which I think and often. Uh, yes, yeah. often. Well, I mean Henry was one of the first things he did, so yeah. um and uh so apparently he went to his audition for Henry in his custodial uniform because that was his uh, his day job at the time. And that ended up being a part of his wardrobe for the movie. Oh, um, cool. He, uh, he did not wear it in the scenes where there was like blood everywhere. Because I guess, you know, it's kind of like, this yeah. is my work outfit. I can't get it really oh, dirty. <laughs> um, I thought that was pretty funny. But because of the way this movie was released and, you know, it, it took so long for it to come out, um, tapes of the film had gotten around Hollywood while it was kind of sitting on the shelf. And they, you know, I guess... Uh, I don't know if the film studios or whoever it is saw his tapes and were like, we want, you know, where they yeah. started hiring him. So he, he has a, a pretty good list of credits just between those couple of years, uh, between finishing Henry and then the release of it. Yeah. We have uh, Tom Towles as Otis and uh, he, you know, I, I didn't recognize him at first, but then when we started, uh, you know, looking up his credits, um, he is Harry, the kind of antagonist, I guess, in the uh, 1990 version of Night of the Living Dead. Yes, the non-zombie antagonist. Yes, oh. yes, exactly. Uh, he's also um, the cop that gets shot by the Firefly, Firefly family in um, 
Rob Zombie's house, a thousand corpses, corpses, and then also he kind of sparks, I guess, the revenge mission in the Devil's Rejects to take down the Firefly Fly. Fam- I can't say Firefly at all. But well, well, it's it's Firefly family that makes it difficult. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Tongue twister. <laughs> right. And then we have Tracy Arnold plays Becky, who is Otis's sister. Um, she d- does not have a huge list of credits, but however, she was in the Borrower, the alien decapitation movie uh, I talked about. Um, and oh, actually, she's listed uh, as being in a horror movie that came out in uh, 2017 called The Other One. So I don't know too much about that, but uh, I, you know, she does well. She does a really good job in Henry. It's just this movie is so grimy and gross. You know, yeah. it is what it is. Um. So one thing I thought was really interesting too, it's like all these sort of Michael Rooker's real life bleeding into the production of the movie. And uh, he stayed in character as Henry during the shoot reportedly, uh, including offset when they were not filming anything. Um, There's like an anecdote uh, that I believe is that I came across on IMDb that says um, his wife became pregnant while he was making the movie and she waited to tell him that she was pregnant until production had wrapped and he was kind of back to his normal self. I don't know. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, That's like a really (laughs) random factoid, but I don't know. That's very interesting. Um, Also, um, you know, we're talking about how infamous this movie has uh, was at the time. Uh, Part of that was, you know, over the years before it got released, it was submitted to the MPAA and got an X rating. There were no other rating systems in place beyond, um, you know, X was after R, uh, I think like, uh, like maybe adult films were, um, branded with the X rating, mm-hmm. uh, or non-rated, non-rated at all. And, um, Henry was one of a couple of movies that inspired the creation of the NC-17 because, um, I think the sort of the distinction is nc-17 is you you have to show proof of age of being 17 or older you can't like get in with your uncle or whatever if you're under 17 so uncles don't take your nieces and nephews to see henry portrait of a serial killer (laughs) yeah yeah no um this movie does have a couple of taglines though Ooh, i'm excited all right let's start out with um the first one before the Silence of the Lambs comes the most highly acclaimed and controversial film of the year. I don't understand the Silence of the Lambs parallel at all. They're so different. Were there were those like the only two movies about serial killers out there at the time? Maybe they wanted to elevate it and just like remind people of the Silence of the Lambs when they think of Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I don't think this movie is nearly good enough, even if I'm feeling generous about it, to be compared to Silence of the Lambs, which is excellent, which is a masterpiece. Yeah. 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 All right. Here's the second one. The shocking true story of Henry Lee Lucas. I mean, okay. All right. Maybe I save the third and best for last. He's not Freddy. He's not Jason. He's real. Yeah, I'll take that one. Yes. That's yeah. my favorite one. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll, I'm a sucker for anything that uh, references A Nightmare on Elm Street. Oops, I just referenced. Yeah, but it, it <laughs> was natural. It was very natural. Good job. <laughs> Until I made it awkward. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, this uh, it's kind of um, 
<sighs> it must have been a bummer though for everybody involved to have to wait for so long for this to reach audiences because it playing at film festivals you know between 1986 and 1990 and people were seeing it but i would imagine you know like today with you know the internet it's a lot easier to like hear about movies and get excited and yeah and i wonder if like people even knew at the time that the movie was like out there struggling to get distributed where they're like you know, Henry Lee Lucas fans that were like, finally. Oh, I, I, I kind of hope not. But I also wonder if it didn't add a little bit to the myth surrounding the movie. Kind of like the, uh, what is it, the Poughkeepsie tapes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, you know, you watch it, or at least I watched it, and I didn't know much about the history of it, but I did know that it was at least controversial. And, you know, when something's controversial, you go, ooh, controversy. You know, that must mean that it's good or special or something. Uh, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the Poughkeepsie tapes because uh, that that was probably one of the other, one of that and this movie are the two that we've covered so far for the show that made me feel levels of discomfort that uh, I was not happy about while I did not enjoy either of those movies the only thing is i feel like it's a lot easier to kind of um be really mean to poughkeepsie and this one i'm like just begrudgingly like oh this movie's gross and disgusting but i get where they're coming from it felt like this movie had a little bit more substance to it whereas poughkeepsie tapes was at least my impression was that it was all kind of about being over the top and gross and it was it was gory gross whereas this is just like very very uncomfortable gross and i'm thinking of specifically two scenes in it one is like the snuff film and the other is when henry comes back and finds otis raping his sister oh god raping his Uh, own sister not henry's sister uh and i mean i i honestly couldn't you know, even like look directly at the screen. It it's very realistic. I don't know if that's part of the sixteen millimeter whatever. Uh I really don't know enough about film to say to like put my finger on exactly what made it so much worse to me than all of the other, you know, horrifying stuff we've seen over the years in our, our horror movies that, you know, we, we enjoy. I mean this movie was not funny. It had no sense of humor. It was dark. I think Michael Rooker did an excellent job. And I do think, although I disagree with the choice to make Becky an adult, you know, I think that, you know, she romanticizes this horrible, horrible guy. And in the end, he murders her. So let's all agree to not romanticize serial killers. Yeah. 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 Oh, totally. And, you know, uh, all the home video stuff is just uh, so gruesome. And, and I think that, you know, it's it's hard enough to watch while it's, uh you know, the, the murders are taking place and they're filming it. But then um, how they're kind of rewatching the footage um, at home. I think that's like that just makes me feel so made me feel so sick. Yeah. Another interesting choice that this movie made in terms of changing from the real story is uh, 
Otis is not a killer on his own before getting involved with with Henry. So, you know, I, I think that you can't say who the dominant personality is, you know, when the two of them were together. You know, I don't know that there's any even concrete evidence that they did kill people together, although they do seem to have killed people separately. So, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, it's not like he was totally innocent. He ended up being probably... I think they portrayed him to kind of be worse, right? You're supposed to, I think, hate him more than Henry Lee Lucas, you know, even though he's kind of sucked into this life by by Henry. So all yeah. sorts of weird decisions. Yep. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, you know, I, I can't actually, you know, recommend this movie, but, um, you know, I, I get why people like it. It's like I said, at the beginning, it's just not for me. Yeah. And, but I do think it's, it's a must watch for, you know, those of you who are into true crime movies you know, it's been on my radar for a very long time before we finally sat down and and watched it. And I can't say it was enjoyable. In fact, it was not enjoyable. But, you know, I, I don't regret watching it. We also own it. So we're probably <laughs> yeah. never going to watch it again. But I wouldn't say I regret it because you gave it to me. So thank you for buying me that movie, even though I'm never going to watch it again. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> well, I bought it sight unseen. So it wasn't like I'm like, here's this wonderful gift. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, that just about wraps up um, our discussion of Henry Lee Lucas and Henry, a portrait of a portrait. I'm adding all these words. Portrait of a serial killer. It's Henry colon portrait of a serial killer. Yeah. It's a good title. It's a very good title. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Even though it didn't have the best taglines. All right. Well, hey, we haven't talked about this in a while. Um, Do you have anything for like uh, now playing? Sure. And I I brought this up somewhere in the cult i think it was just a comment but uh we recently watched a discovery of witches on shutter and it was so much fun it's vampire witch romance uh, what what more do you want starring um what's his name from watchmen who's very cute playing like a sad lonely vampire that falls in love with a witch if you have Shudder, watch it. If you don't have Shudder, get Shudder and watch it. This is not sponsored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right on. It was enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. That's all you have to say. Well, no. Uh, uh, our friend of ours had been reading the uh, the novels uh, when she came to visit us in New Mexico. And um, I think she had mentioned that there's a, like an adaptation of it. And then, yeah, it showed up on Shudder. And, you know, I'm a sucker for any of the Shudder, Shudder originals. And uh, it's a Shutter slash Sundance original, yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. if for the like five of you out there that have Sundance streaming, I think there's only five people that use that service, right? Yeah. Uh, you could also watch it there. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. I bet more people would watch it if they were a sponsor of the show. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know. I would watch it again. Yep. Well, Do you hear I that? Probably will still watch it again. Wait, doesn't uh uh what's the name have a house out here in Santa Fe? Who? Uh, the Sundance guy. Robert Redford? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he was a Sundance guy. We'll call him up and have him throw some ads on the show. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, So uh, what about you, David? What's your now playing? Well, I'm currently reading Frozen Hell, and it is a sci-fi horror novel by John W. Campbell. 
He is actually not a new novelist. He passed away quite a long time ago, but he is considered one of the uh, the greatest sci-fi authors of all time. Um, this is a new, newly discovered full novel version of the story Who Goes There? And if that sounds familiar, it's because it was adapted into a film called The Thing from Another World. It was also adapted by John Carpenter as The Thing. Ooh. Yes. Um, this is pretty cool. It was uh, actually just like recently discovered two How or three years ago. How do you discover ago. it? Like among his possessions? Uh, Did no, his kids so, find it? Well, there was a, a project underway to um, write about some of the great like 40s sci-fi authors. And uh, yeah, this, this guy was going through some um, correspondence uh, at like some college archives and he had donated all his manuscripts to them. And there were like references to a longer version of Who Goes There. And they came across them. That's and, uh, crazy. Yep. And working with the family, uh, the Campbell family, were able to, uh, to get it out into the world. So um, there's like all kinds of versions that are coming out. I pledged for like the paperback. And um, it's in production but they they sent everybody an epub version so i'm reading on my kindle and uh digging it quite a lot nice yeah all right so uh what's coming soon for you my gosh would it be bad if i say a discovery of witches the audiobook <laughs> no, keep, <laughs> because keep my, with the theme. my dad bought it on audible and uh he's not enjoying it but i have a feeling I'm going to enjoy it. So I signed into his account and downloaded it. I'm going to start listening to it during my commute. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. All all, uh, all witches and vampires all the time for you, huh? Oh, yeah. I got to escape from all this uh, dark true crime stuff. I'm, uh, I'm also almost finished with the Teacher's Pet podcast. I know I'm very late to that game. That was big over the summer. But uh, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What about you? What's your coming soon? Uh, I'm excited about Happy Death Day to you. It comes out the day before Valentine's Day. So. Oh, yeah. That'll be fun. Is that what we're going to do on Valentine's Day? Go watch it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll come up with a plan. I think I want to see that. Uh, what is that romantic comedy starring uh, Rebel Wilson? Is that Valentine's Day too? Oh, I don't know. That's yeah. That looks like fun. That looks yeah. cute. All right. Well, there's a lot out there to check out. Um, all right. So uh, you can find us all over social media. Yeah, for the most part. You can find David on social media. <laughs> you uh, can find yeah. me in the cult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, our Facebook group is, like I said, Cult of Based on True Crime. There's a button actually on our Facebook page for the main podcast that you can click and uh, you know join. And then we get a little approval notification and we'll push accepted onto there. And uh, you can join us because there's a lot of great, uh, great conversations happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lots of talk of uh, all this cool Netflix stuff that's hitting, documentaries, new movie trailers. It's it's a good time to be a true crime fan right now. Yep. And uh, also uh, consider joining us on Patreon. We, like we said, we do release uh, an episode a month that you can't get on this main feed. And uh, we have polls and stuff to kind of vote on, on a, a selection of movies that we're going to cover. Uh, also, there are some reward tiers that include buttons and stickers and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, you can get those episodes for as low as a dollar a month. So we would love it if you would join us over there as well. 
And speaking of monthly episodes, we are experimenting with a release format change. And I think the plan is we're going to try out doing one episode a month on the regular feed and then continue doing the uh, episode a month on Patreon. Yeah, we, you know, we've been thinking about how to best fit this in with our our new lives here in New Mexico where we're quite a bit busier and you know, we don't want to disappoint you guys by overpromising and uh, we will be having very meaty episodes though. We'll we'll think a lot about, you know, picking a, a good episode for a month that has a good story and that people are excited to hear. So hopefully you guys will will stick with us and uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy. Yeah, and thank you for all of the, you know, your past support. We really appreciate it. And uh yeah, it's it's uh it's good to be to be back at it even though technically we we weren't gone from podcasting entirely. Um but anyway, uh thanks again and uh you know, we look we're looking forward to 2019. Um besides, oh, well, I guess should also say that we are a member of the Murderly network. So there's are a uh, a group of similar minded yet all unique true crime themed shows out there so check out murder.ly and uh, you can check out all the shows on there yeah they'll they'll fill in the gaps where we're only releasing the one episode they'll have plenty (laughs) of episodes for you guys to get you through yeah exactly and besides podcasting we also pour our creative little hearts into lab creature which is our indie art business where we focus on creating weird at weird cat and spooky art of all sorts and uh you can follow us on instagram at lab creature we'll be doing a lot of traveling this year to uh, a couple of oddities and curiosity expos in some cities uh, around the country as well as a couple of cat cons and uh hopefully some horror cons as well so yeah follow at lab creature on instagram to kind of keep keep uh keep up on the latest and greatest and if you like weird art uh (laughs) join us our podcast theme and supporting music was composed and performed by nico vatis of we talk of dreams and he can be found on twitter at we talk of dreams and well that handle as well on instagram and we talk of dreams.com you uh search for him on Bandcamp as well um he has released a couple of eps and uh we really love his work and are so happy that uh to worked with him on the theme for our show all right as we close up this episode just remember death is but a door and time is but a window we'll be back of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 